one of the issues I found with reading some horror is it can take a while to get to the horror stuff, like building up the suspense and tension before something happens. And I don't really have time for that. (laughs) (sighs) If only we could take our love of reading to a new level. Well, I've always wanted to start a book club. Book club! For masochists and other deviants. Hello and welcome to the Book Club for Masochists, where we read and discuss all the genres and types of literature, regardless of our actual interest in them. Crackathoom, lightning crash. Every month, we read books from a new, randomly picked genre. Then on the podcast, we discuss our reading choices, experiences, opinions, appeal factors, and other related topics as friends and library workers. And then the spooky organ kicks in. I can't do that noise, but there'll be a sample here. It's episode number 184, and that means it's time for us to discuss the genre of Horror. How about your bats fly at the screen? I was also going to say bats. I was going to say bat screeches. Thanks for the stage direction version of the (laughs) sound effects. We're now a radio play. Yeah. Radio play that does not have enough money to actually afford sound effects. (laughs) We're just saying what we We intend to it sounds like right there. Our our Foley person is new at the job and <laughs> still figuring out how that all works. Uh, my name is Jam. I'm a librarian in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is located on the traditional ancestral and unceded land of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Stolo people. My name is Matthew. I'm a librarian in Fort Collins, Colorado, USA. And my name is Anna. I'm also a librarian in Fort Collins, Colorado, USA, which is on the traditional and ancestral homelands of the Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute nations and peoples. My name is Megan. I'm an archivist. I live and work on the unceded traditional territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabe, uh, which is also known as the National Capital Region of Canada. It's Halloween! <laughs> it's Halloween month. I can't believe that we pulled horror to to be this episode at this time of year. Yeah. Although we did have to read it a month early because true. of how we record these. Yeah, but it's it's true, but it's coming out just yeah. in time. It's coming out when everyone else will will start reading horror. It was like a 4% chance of this happening or something, like not very <laughs> not a very large chance of this happening. I feel extra prepared for spooky season now. Mhm, yeah. In the mode. Already been at it for a month. And we have a book list to help all of our listeners if they're putting together displays or anything like that. Yes, we have a book list of horror titles by authors of color, by Black, Indigenous, and People of Color authors. Uh, Look for it in the show notes because there are a lot of, of, there's a lot of horror books out there. um, And there's a lot of great horror by authors of color. And so... The ones appearing in the book list for this episode were all published within the last three years. And so we have a a really beefy 31 title long, uh, 31, one for each day of, Hall- of, of Halloween. Yes, each day of Halloween. One for each day of October. 31 horror books by Black, Indigenous, and People of Color authors. I think there's one or 
there's one or two uh, on the list that are actually coming out in October. So apologies for the ones that you cannot actually read yet. But if you're looking for ones to order, perhaps. Ooh. All right. So horror, a, a very large and like sometimes we could do with these like super niche genres. Um, and then other times it's like horror, anything horror. Yep. Any horror. Was fantasy also this year where we had just fantasy, any fantasy? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a year for big genres. And suspense is coming up too. So potential overlap. Mm-hmm. Next next year is gonna be nothing but niches. <laughs> it's gonna be like baseball fiction. Lizard romance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I don't know if you said lizard or wizard, but either of those is a great genre. <laughs> <laughs> I said lizard, but I would read wizard romance also. We we could have that as the uh, the genre for February for Valentine's Day. <laughs> I don't know if we've had we haven't done fantasy romance, but they, I feel like it is a booming subgenre. But that's not what we're talking about in this episode. No, uh, we are talking about horror. Um, and how would do we define this genre? Scary things, scary fictional things, but not about climate change, which is <laughs> which is scary thing that is in fiction. I'm sure there's climate change horror. Oh, 100%. Yes. I ended up reading a bunch of things I thought would be horror, but ended up being like slightly something else. And I think for me, what horror has to have is um, a feeling of dread. So they like there's an emotional tension, a dread. You don't have to be like scared in your own home. Although I have had read books that gave me nightmares. But it does have to have like a particular kind of tension where you you know that something terrible is happening and it's not just that someone is going to be like emotionally scarred. Uh, I do agree that there is a lot that's like sometimes you are reading things that you're like, I can't tell if this should be considered horror or not or like what else you would categorize it as. Um, and one of the things for me that ca- that popped up several times and and Matthew and I both had this is uh like comedy and horror blending together in interesting ways um where it was like you actually didn't quite end up with that same dark t- or that same tension in this because the comedy was cutting it but what you ended up with was like this is underneath that comedy this is bleak mm. this is like Oh my gosh, like the what they're talking about here is something so dark. And then they smother the comedy over it. And it's like funny or cute or like however else it is. But like, if you stop and think about it, you're like, ooh, wow, that hit it like a dark place in how we think about the world, how we think about life, about um, relationships, about whatever it is, right? There's also so much horror adjacent stuff, which is what I how I describe things that like have things that show up in horror, but are not horror. Um, And so by this, I mean like anything with zombies or vampires or whatever, that's like Mm. not scary, Um, you know? And it's just like, you think about all the video games and comics and stuff in them that have these things. It's like, there were like, this is like pretty like over a decade old at this point, but there's like a bunch of superhero Marvel super comics where like Dracula has a castle on the moon. It's like, that's not a horror comic. You know? Yeah. I'm also thinking of paranormal romance. Or yeah, like paranormal romance. Like I loved I love all those paranormal romance 
visual novel dating games that I played. And it's just like, oh, do I date the zombie or the werewolf? And the answer is never the werewolf. <laughs> the werewolf is always like the athlete jock, and I don't know why I would ever want to date them. Aww. They want to run around, and I'm like, nope, I'm uninterested in this. Give me a Medusa any day. Oh, you just hate dogs, though. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, it's true. <laughs> Uh, and but I had not I had not thought that people would equate dogs with werewolves. I'm like a werewolf is clearly a different thing. But no, in in all these things, it's like a werewolf is a dog. And I'm like mm, uninterested. <laughs> but yeah, I I was saying I was telling people earlier this week that like there are those options in video games to like get rid of spiders um, for people that have arachnophobia. And I'm like I just want this except for dogs. In and you can just replace the dogs with sp- giant spiders. Um, just do a trade yeah it's like <laughs> trade with the people with arachnophobia i take the spider i get one spider one thousand million spiders you get all the dogs <laughs> uh and it, it's like all those things it's like oh like do you get to pet the, the dog i'm like uninterested do you get to pet the spider i'm like oh suddenly i want to pet the giant spider the like three foot log spider yes let me pet the sp- giant spider the people that have spider phobias that are listening to this are horrified right now we may have to put some uh content warnings on this episode <laughs> I have a question, uh, which is for you all, does horror a horror book need to involve something otherworldly or unexplainable or or some sort of unreal or or yeah, some 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 kind of unreality? Because I'm just thinking of horror movies and how like slasher movies are such a big genre of horror movie, whereas I think of horror fiction and i don't think of just the threat being just a guy (laughs) a guy who kills people that feels more like a thriller i think it depends on how it's set up and i think you can't have Mm -hmm. like serial killer horror stuff that is a thriller but also stuff that is horror and it's just i guess like are they running around is the question i mean to a certain extent i think many of us here on the carl are like fans of science fiction and fantasy and light supernatural. There's a layer of, I prefer my horror to be, uh, what was the word that you used? Unnatural or supernatural or unreality. Unreality. I actually, one of the the terms I searched for was uncanny horror. That's one of the things I looked for. Uncanny. Hmm. Because to a certain extent, I don't want to read about evil corporations It's or, you know, like really evil people, I guess, because it's, uh, I guess, on some level, a little bit more possible. I read a book that had an evil, had evil corporations in it this month that I'd actually completely forgotten about till now. But the like corporation as like cult um was something that i thought was entertaining and funny um i like i guess like i'm not horrific but i'm like they're already so awful anyway that like i would prefer it if they were horrible cults to like the elder <laughs> gods at least then there's a reason for destroying all humans it makes me think of um stephen king and like i think it's misery is the name of the one where it's just like the it's sort of the the commentary of being an author and and um and that is not like supernatural horror but it's meant to be horrific and man uh matthew might be onto something with his running theory because there's no hey no running in that book yeah there you go (laughs) (laughs) 
to be less glib about the horrific events of that story. Um, yeah, I guess it, 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 there's a sense of being trapped that may be more of a uh, a theme of horror than of of thriller or suspense, even though it is a realistic situation. I feel there's a very good infographic that someone could make about like, what book should I read next? And one of like the main thing is like, do you want the characters to run around as like the first diver- diverging point? How, how much running do you want in your book? A lot, a little, none. Was there running in anyone's books? I don't fully know because I will admit I did not finish mine. Yeah. Oh. I guess there was a moment of fleeing in terror already. Mm. Uh, there's, there was definitely running in one of mine. One that was a series of fleeing scenes <laughs> and another one that just had a single run in it. Matthew was holding up a comic strip. Think or just sh- being shown running. I think there's just running happening. Okay, well, maybe the running theory has fallen through. But that 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 was if it had no supernatural elements. I see. I see. So supernatural brings or the uncanny brings in a different aspect of this again. I mean, yeah. And that that's a different while a horror comic that I just showed you. It, I feel it is very different from many other horror things due to the way it's framed. But we'll get to that later on. So, what elements would a book have to have for you to consider it? horror would there have to be um violence would there have to be uh despair (laughs) like i am thinking of shirley jackson um and specifically well i guess either of the ones that i've read i I checked out some shirley jackson books for this month but didn't read them because the library's copies were in really bad shape and i didn't want to bring them home (laughs) Um, um but uh I've read uh, the 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 house, the one with the house, and the haunting of Hill House. Yes, uh, something like that. And uh, I own. Um, we have always lived in the castle, uh, and that one in particular, I feel like um, there very little like happens in that in that book, um, or or at least you know the things that happen. So much like dread is created through through such little action in the plot, um, uh, and I think while there is like some, you know, people die and and there is some destruction, but I wouldn't say there's any scenes of violence in. And we have always lived in the castle. I read a book of short stories for this podcast a while ago, and. For whatever reason, I was under the impression that it was like a collection of horror stories. I think it was the cover. And so I went in every story, like dreading reading this thing and like having this. And like, I guess the writing style, except to to some extent or another, like was able to give me that dread sense, but nothing ever happened. And so I was just like, I'm like, oh no, what's going to happen? And then it's like, oh, the story ended. I'm like, is this, is this a horror collection? <laughs> If, if if there's if there's no payoff, is it horror? Mm. Uh, I was about to say, I feel like maybe what makes something horror for me is if I'm reading it and I can out loud go, "Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> oh no." <laughs> it's funny because one, this month, Anna and I read a comic for this genre, and at one point, I turned a page and there was like a jump scare, and I be- I almost said like I lied. I'm like, "Oh, that's very silly." Was the response I had to it. Um, I'm like, oh, that's very like cute and kind of like, you know, it's just like, I'm like, that's not the response. I don't like, I don't know. I honestly, though, this book was so weird. I don't know the response the author was going for. 
Yeah, this is the one where I, yeah, th- this is one I want to talk about because I think it's very interesting what it did. Um, but I would say that, yes, there, so horror, I think, usually involves like a sense of dread, um, f- or fear or shock or being scared. It doesn't have to be one or another, but it sits in that family of emotions or repulsed. That could be another one that could be in there. Um, but it, the trick is more about does it create an atmosphere where that is the point of it to some degree? That that is an, an, an essential point of it as opposed to just a drop of a thing that happens along the way, right? Um you know, that you were dealing with that, but then there are other aspects, other things, other whatevers that you are dealing with that are are the primary point. And I kind of was wondering that I'm actually interested in if we run with something like that with this one that Matthew and I are talking about. I think we will come up with different decisions on it, and I think that's interesting in and of itself. I found – one of the issues I found with reading some horror is – um, for prose fiction specifically, it can take a while to get to the horror stuff. Um, and there's a lot of buildup in first, like creating, like kind of using it to define what normal is and then building up the suspense and tension before something happens. And I, I don't really have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think it's why I prefer them horror in uh, video games and comics. Uh, the horror video games, I think, are very different because you have a sense of agency in those that is very different from any like from a novel. I yeah, I I I'm opposite. <laughs> Cannot uh, horror video games to me. Uh, I I feel like I uh, have so much more trouble um, because I I didn't when I was a kid. I didn't like to play Mario because he could die. <laughs> because if I ran out of lives, the Mario was dead. And I, it, it, it's like an act of like stepping into the like being in like a, a you know, trying. Uh, yeah, just couldn't help immersing myself in the physical like space of a game and feeling like it's happening to me in a way that I, I can handle writing a little better. And, and there are very different games out there as well. There's that alien one where you're just hiding all the time um and that will supposedly like if you breathe too loud the microphone will pick it up and the alien will find you hiding no don't care don't care for that (laughs) i also do not want to play that one i don't even want to watch horror movies where whatever i do doesn't cause terrible things to happen on screen never mind play a game in which it is dark and there are jump scares and then i cause the character to die like no yeah uh matthew once was playing a video game back when we lived in vancouver and we lived in that smaller place and i was in the bedroom while he played this video game because it was a horror video game and i had to come out and say you can't have that sound on i can't handle it the the sound is making me incredibly i can feel my heart pounding in the other room while i'm trying to read a totally unrelated book (laughs) Uh, this was Dead Space, uh, which I rebought shortly before moving here, and so I will never get to play this game. <laughs> he will be playing it with his headphones on. <laughs> um, Anna and I actually consume a lot of like media about horror. Uh, like we watch 
a lot of YouTube videos about horror stuff, horror video games and horror movies and, and things like that. Um, which I think is kind of really interesting in some ways. Like we don't want to watch the horror movies, but we're fine to watch content about them. Yeah. I am somewhat similar. Um Oh wait, have have we have we merged into previous experience now or is that is that what we're doing or are we still we could i feel like this is a yeah i feel like we've defined it pretty well i'm just looking at the wikipedia definition horror is a genre of fiction that is intended to disturb frighten or scare and i feel like we have we've hit on the that yes the the like emotional nervous nervous system reaction that it creates uh being part of the intention of the work is is there um what was I saying? Oh, yes. I I am a huge, huge baby. Um, I don't want to watch uh, horror movies. <laughs> and, and even reading horror fiction is is tough. Uh, I, like, put off – I was excited to read this month because it's so broad. There's so many things I could read. I read horror before and enjoyed it. Um, but, like, all the books I checked out, I kept looking at them and being like, uh, it's going to be too scary. <laughs> um, but I am, I, like – just kind of constantly looking up uh uh and i have a friend who loves horror movies and hates this but you know always reading the wikipedia pages about various horror movies or or looking up various horror you know tv shows or media that i'm i know i'm not gonna consume um and so uh but but yeah but i'm fascinated by like i want to know the (laughs) I want to know the thing. Anytime I like, there's a, like a lot of horror movies I feel like are like high concept or have like a secret. And anytime a piece of media does that, I'm like, well, I want, I want to know the secret. <laughs> yep. I, I feel that. Um, it, one time we had a gathering for our, uh, like a bunch of the MLIS students in our cohort back, you know, in our student days as librarians. And uh, we all watched a horror movie and I spent the whole time looking at the corner of the screen very carefully, <laughs> like just staring at the corner of the screen. And one of them was smart enough to pick up on the fact that I never looked at the screen itself. I just looked off at a quarter of it <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> Jam, what are your opinions about Christmas horror movies? Um, I I mean, I'm mostly pro, but I haven't watched them <laughs> because, I, as aforementioned, I'm a baby. I should try to find some like Christmas horror movie songs that you can do <laughs> on Hark, your holiday music podcast. I I think there's at least one from the Krampus soundtrack that we have like on our someday for our Halloween episodes. <laughs> We will do this one. Don't think Rare Exports has one, but I've heard that that movie's good. If people want any uh, Christmas horror movies, which is what they surely put this episode on for. Background? I think I read a shit ton of Stephen King as a youth, which is what it is. I'm trying to think of any other horror. I did. Goosebumps. Oh my mm. god, yes. I wanted to yes. talk about Goosebumps and Fear Street. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about these. I read a bunch of those. I had a little period in like fifth and sixth grade where I read a ton of those. That was the thing I read all the and all the little ghost stories I could find. There's Bruce Coville had some and like yeah. I read a bunch of those. But I definitely drew the line by the time I got to Stephen King. I missed that phase. All the other, <laughs> many other youths around me were having their Stephen King phase. And I was like, nope, I'm going straight into fantasy and skipping it entirely. <laughs> I, I do think it's very interesting that there is like children's horror as like a thing, which is all about like the same like, 
you know, creating dread and, and, and fear, but in a much milder way. <laughs> I really need to go back and read some of those and see how fearful or dread inducing they like, what are they like? I don't remember it. Like my adult brain has no conception of what they are actually like. I read a lot of horror comics, which like is is in some ways like surprising, considering I don't read horror fiction. I I, I would not say I like horror. I, I that I like horror fiction because I don't read horror books or very infrequently, and I don't watch horror movies. But like I was looking at my shelf of like just my to read, and like was able to pull like multiple things off it. That I'm like, oh, this is horror. This is horror. This is horror. Um, and it's like, when it's a comic, like maybe I even seek it out to some extent. Um, and I could not tell you why that is, but I, I would say that some of my favorite comics are horror comics. Yeah. You introduced me to Junji Ito, which I have enjoyed. And, but I will say that for me, horror and comics form is a lot easier to take than in most other form. Um, I, it does not induce dread in me in the same way, but I will say I, I do better with, I, I, not necessarily the heavily gore ones, uh, if there's a lot of gore in them, but particularly I can do s gore if it is not violent gore, right? That's kind of the differentiation for me. It's the, the type of gore where I think somebody is in horrifying pain or experiencing a truly terrifying, like, moment, as opposed to the kind of, like, almost more conceptual gore of some of the Junji Ito stuff where like technically their bodies are doing horrifying things but they're not really there anymore as far as I can tell to wonder like like their sense of self is different in those it like the body horror aspect of Junji Ito is like I have this love-hate relationship with body horror but then like the other one of like identity death where like your personality is gone, but there's still something there that's alive. Like it's something that actually like really scares me to the point where I don't want to read about it. Well, it's those like holes that are you are that were fitted made for yourself. You. Yeah, that were made for that. That's yeah. I I think those come up periodically in my like subconscious once in a while. Where I like <laughs> the Enigma of Amy Garafelt by Junji Ito. Very shared online because it's a short story about uh a earthquake that exposes a f like a fault thing in a mountain and there's all these holes in them that look like they're shaped like people and all these people show up and realize that the certain there's a specific hole for each person this hole was made for me you can find it online yeah you can, it's <laughs> megan's shaking her head um uh Emily Carroll is a big one for me for, for horror comics. Uh, both in terms of like a, a person I've read a lot of and, and really enjoyed. And also I think uh, uses the, the medium so well, um, including like when she does web comics and, and using the, the screen in a, in a thoughtful way. I, I feel like what it is that I just love, I like I clearly love reading fiction about like vampires and ghosts and stuff like that. Um, but I don't care for how it's portrayed. Like I'm just not a film person to some extent, but also like I don't like the way it's that they're told in film. And maybe it is just like 
it's easier to read for me to read like gory violent stuff in comic form than it is to watch it could be an aspect of that yeah i also had a big vampire face um junji ito is almost too scary to read so after the first couple i was like yes i see it is very scary <laughs> if anybody uh is interested in reading would like to read more Junji Ito, but doesn't like reading horror comics i highly recommend Junji Ito's cat diary oh yes i was gonna say the one about his cat which is his non-fiction comic about owning cats that is drawn in the same style and told in the same style, but it's all just about cats. Okay. Just by being a cat owner, but it is presented as if there is dramatic moments that are occurring that as if they are like horrifying dramatic moments, but they're just cats being cats. Excellent. I feel like I could go into more background specifics. I've pulled up one of the Fear Street novels that really uh, fucked with me. As a kid, but I, I feel like this is going to be a long episode. But yeah, I also did goop, Goosebumps. I did two Stephen King books and then I bailed on that face. Which ones? The first one I read was The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, which was like a school assignment one. Um, and then I did Cujo and I was like, nah, I'm done. <laughs> you read The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon as a school assignment? Yeah. Like a book that you picked or a book that the school picked? It was on like a list. I think it was in high school, but it was like a, on a list of books we could pick from. Okay. For context on being assigned the or semi-assigned the girl who loves Tom Gordon, this was in New England, and I feel like uh, it was a it had a local interest angle. Okay. I mean, to be fair, it's it's among his shorter works compared to a few other things that he's published, mm-hmm. and a lot more like survival than. Uh, there, there's certainly some like horror elements, but um, but much more a, a survivalist story. Yeah, the horror is that you're lost in the woods. <laughs> there's also like a spooky bear or something that also sure. might be a serial killer because everything, every I feel like every scary animal in Stephen King, at least in the two that I've read, also is maybe a serial killer. Fair enough. Search strategies. This is one of those genres in which I had a whole bunch of stuff that were on my like medium to long term hold list and all I had to do was unsuspend the holds and let them roll in. <laughs> unsuspend the holds and let them roll in. Yep. That sounds very like Megan. <laughs> I feel like unspending all the holds at once is a horror for Megan. Oh yeah, that would that sounds like a horror story. Uh, yeah, I, I did, like I mentioned, I looked up on, well, horror, there's so much in horror. (laughs) Like, it's, it's about trying to figure out what angle you're going to take on it, um, that is going to work for yourself. Um, and since I have liked some of the more, like, slightly uncanny, um, speculative fiction sort of pieces, I thought, well, maybe I'd like something that's more in the area of uncanny for horror as well. So I started going down that route and kind of looking around at at what came up when I tried to look under uncanny horror. I did not have a huge amount of luck with that in terms of finding anything I particularly wanted. Um, what actually ended up happening is I went to my local indie bookstore and there is a book sitting on the shelf that I was like, oh, that looks kind of interesting. And I picked it up. I was like, oh, it's horror. And then I read the back and it's like, okay, I could, I could get into this one. This has a little bit sort of a fantasy angle on horror. And then it turned out it's their book club read. 
and they're doing it for their um, October book club meeting. And I was like, well, opportunity to also get to know my community slightly better. So I am hopefully going to get it done before that book club meeting uh, in a couple of weeks. And hopefully. I have not finished it yet, uh, unfortunately. But uh, that was how I found and selected mine was based on something in the community, like going to my local indie bookstore and looking at what they had arranged on their shelf, basically in preparation for the spooky season. Um, I checked out some young adult titles that I had, had, you know, seen before and been intrigued by. And this was my opportunity to read them. I didn't end up finishing any of them. And I also checked out some titles that I found while I was researching the BIPOC authors book list uh, and uh, did end up reading one of those. I had a three-pronged system I used this month. The first was I just downloaded a bunch of audiobooks that I got for free. Um, that Like basically anything horror that was coming out this month. I was like, give me them all. Um, <laughs> I listened to 1.1 of them. I, I did listen to one entire one. Um and then secondly, I search for sci- sci-fi horror. Because uh, honestly, like if it's set in space, I'm like a million times more interested in it. Um, and so I found some stuff in that area. And then finally, I was like, I looked at my shelf or was like, what is the next volume of this horror comic I need to read? Um, and, and read some stuff for that that way as well. So I'll start with the the one that actually wasn't on my hold list. Jam mentioned that Chuck Tingle had written some horror. So I went and I looked, and the one that you mentioned, whose name I'm blanking on right now, was not in the library yet. Camp Damascus? Yes, Camp Damascus. But there was one called Straight, and it was novella length. It's about 126 pages, um, and came out in 2021. And so... The concept is a couple years ago, there was this terrible event where all the straight people had a form of limited time madness where they tried to kill all the queer people. So the first year, terrible bloodbath. The second year, um, limited because they had discovered a, a vaccine, I think. And so this is the third year. Um, and it's a, it's a group of friends of queer people who are deciding to leave the the city that they're in to ride out the the 24 hours or however long it is in which everybody is going to potentially have some severe effects based on something in the space is the cause. We don't really know. It's not important. They're gone out to the countryside to ride out this period of time. And of course, it does nothing goes smoothly. Um, and they have to survive in traditional like horror slasher tradition to try and make it through. And along the way, you know, there gets to be some commentary about how queer people are, are treated and shitty allies in the world and stuff like that. Um, so it was a different kind of horror I think that I'm used to seeing, but also an like an enjoyable one in terms of just slightly different uh, takes on potential horror themes. I guess I don't want to spoil anything, so it's hard to talk about what happens further on in the book. But I feel like that's going to happen a lot in our 
discussions today because it's very like horror is very dependent on like you not spoiling things in the horror and we're gonna spend a lot of time dancing around (laughs) things we want to describe (laughs) yeah but it successfully um evokes the feeling of of horror and concern about your characters and oh god how are they gonna get out of this and surprise other terrible thing might happen and so on and so forth so uh, it's a it was a good read, and I look forward to getting a hold of Camp Damascus when it is available. Oh, uh, the last thing I wanted to mention is that uh, Chuck Tingle was interviewed by the woman who does smart podcast trashy books, and he talked a little bit about uh, what he felt some of the overlaps were for some of the genres that he's known for writing for romance, for erotica, for horror, and how they kind of like bring up almost involuntarily bodily reactions to what you're experiencing. And so that is part of what people denigrate them for, but also part of what makes them so appealing to us as, as consumers of media. So I thought that was a really um, smart take on what was going on. I'll briefly mention um, an audiobook I listened to called Mr. Magic by Kirsten White. Um, which is, uh, I mentioned more, I felt it was more like ended up being more of suspense than actual horror. Um, but also it really seemed like this person had read the Candle Cove story, um, which is an internet horror story about like, it's an internet spooky story about like a, a weird kid show from like the eighties that people remember, but there's no record of. And so there's a bunch of that in this in this in this book again like oh there's no recordings of it there's like no information about it blah 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 um and um if you go to the end and read like the note from the author like the first line is like no you don't have to look it up yes i am more yes i was mormon and no i'm no longer mormon i'm like oh okay that's what this book is actually about um there ends up like there's some supernatural stuff at like the very end but i it just wasn't what i was expecting i think from 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 the book that the, the other audiobook i tried to listen to was about ballet and i got like a chapter and a half into this and i was like i can't listen to this this is it's stressing me out too much um and it hasn't even gotten to like the truly horrific parts um and i was reminded of like when i was watching black swan with people years ago and i like i like got up and left the room and read the wikipedia article for the for the the plot description i was like i'm glad i left and i did not go back and watch the rest of that movie yeah, I told Matthew and he I, he told me he had uh, one of his options was a ballet horror. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I would never, never do that. Never. <laughs> it's on our book list, I think. Ballet horror specifically? Specifically. I already no, no, it, too stressed. It's on the, it's on the it, I did put it on the, the list of books the by, by Bach authors. Oh, okay. I feed her to the beast and the beast is me. Okay. Yes. Oh, I think I, I also put that on there. And I may have seen it on there twice and been like, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't you. <laughs> um, I will briefly mention the YA book that I did not end up finishing, but I may finish. Um, it is The Wicked Unseen by uh, Gigi Griffiths. And it has a lot of Halloween flavor. Um, the protagonist is a goth and uh, her mom is a mortician and her dad is uh, a academic who specializes in the occult. Um, and it's set in 1996 and her family has moved to this uh, small religious community um, because of a job that her mom got. Um, and they obviously do not fit in. <laughs> um, and 
a disappearance occurs and uh i think a disappearance occurs and immediately they are like the the town was already you know it's it's the 90s and everybody was already like satanists are everywhere and they are coming for our children um and so um immediately like uh cops start harassing them and i i have not gotten too far into it i feel like Though there is a lot of, it's like set on Halloween and, you know, with this great, like, I've, I've very much enjoyed, um, uh, this, this family, like these parents who are spooky and also very supportive, like very good, very good spooky family. The Adams family. They dressed as the Adams family for, for Halloween <laughs> or the parents dressed as, as, uh, Morticia and Gomez. They could not, uh, rope the kids into it. Um, but, uh, y- yeah, it's, it's also queer. Like the person who goes missing is, is the protagonist crush, uh, crush, who's the daughter of, um, a, a preacher in town. Um, but, uh, I, I think it was reading more mystery to me, like mystery set on Halloween, um, and there is some obviously like occult stuff, like in, in addition to, to this person going missing on the same night, somebody painted, um, the number of the beast on the church doors. And it's, yeah, I, I felt like I could gauge that it was not go- end up going to end up being like a supernatural explanation <laughs> that it was very much going to be like, um, somebody trying to frame um yeah i felt like i could see where it was going like as soon as it started and i'm not disinterested in reading it like i did enjoy as much as i read but i felt like it was not the best uh pick for horror month um maybe i'll talk about it again during suspense month um i i did finish uh a a shorter book uh novella by stephen graham jones it's my first stephen graham jones uh called mapping the interior uh, Stephen Graham Jones is an ad- indigenous author who has written a ton, just prolific, um, has written a ton of, of fiction, mostly horror. Um, and, uh, boy, this one, it was very good. Um, but my re- review of it on Goodreads was just that it is a heart puncher, uh, of a novella. So, uh, heartbreaking and gut punching. A heart puncher, it is, um, about a 12 year old boy uh who his family has just moved to a new house recently um his mom and his little brother his little brother is really struggling uh in school obviously like has some kind of learning disability um and he the protagonist is a sleepwalker um and one night when he uh wakes up uh standing in his living room not sure how he got there he sees um his dad walking across the living room into his little brother's room um but his dad died several years ago um and he's also sees him in full uh fancy dress um like fancy dancer regalia um, which he did not wear in life. And like the way that he describes it, um, yeah, it's just uh, so good. Like he, he describes in, instead of like coming out and saying like, you know, he's wearing fancy dance regalia. Um, uh, he has like spikes coming out of his shins and, you know, this, uh, oversized head and like obscuring his, this mass, uh, obscuring his face and yeah just just using 
making things that could be uh, mundane just sound so phrasing them in ways that both sound so terrifying and sound so true to how a 12 year old would perceive them. Uh, there was a scene early on where he was trying to see his dad again. He was trying to recreate the circumstances in which it happened so he could see him again. Um, and uh, this is not, not by far the worst scene in the book, but the one that really freaked me out the most um, takes a jump rope and uh, ties off his legs to cut off his circulation because his feet were asleep the first time it happened. Um, and it's just like describing, like watching like the color drain from his, his legs. Um, yeah. Just so, so like a, a very sort of small contained story taking place over a couple of days that um, has such good just unsettling details and also like this really, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it justice, but like this emotional through line that hits so hard in the end. Uh, and yeah, again, the thing of like, I'm trying not to <laughs> just spoil too much. Uh, I, yeah, I asked the folks, uh, the other co-hosts on this podcast, if anyone had read it and nobody had, because I wanted to know how bad it got after that circulation scene. Uh, and I, it it goes some places. Um, I tried to look it up on dog, Does the Dog Die? It's not there. I, FYI, for anyone interested in reading it, there are some dogs. They do die. Um, um, they're bad dogs. Um, but uh, it's, you know, if you read Cujo and really liked it, maybe you will enjoy some of that. Anyway, I was I was working my way towards a conclusion. It's really good. Uh, it was disturbing for sure. Um, oh, I wanted to mention like the mom. In addition to seeing things from this twelve-year-old boy's perspective, I feel like there's also this gripping thing of like being able to put myself in their mom's place, where one of your kids is like having seizures and like um, you know obviously struggling in school, and you don't have the resources to know how to support him, and your other kid just starts like showing up in weird places in the yard uh doing weird shit and like telling you uh, like just is eating his cereal and he's like oh dad's back and then like goes to school um just the 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 uh, yeah just the everyone in this family is having a whole a whole time and three like diff very different times well i will talk about the one that i have not finished so mia culpa to the listeners um I was reading Leech by Hiran Ennis, and this book, ha it I, part of the reason why I picked it is because it has sort of a fantasy-esque feel to it, but I think it is actually probably more of a science fiction, in that it is probably more of like an apocalypse has occurred that has reverted us back to a state of, of different... Um, mechanical and electronic like abilities and consumption um it's still around but there's much less of it and communities are much more distant from each other there's a little bit of sort of a steampunk stuff going on with like trains and things feel to it um it is set in a not really specified far north but there's a lot of like um versions of french used <laughs> by some of the people around and in this far north, there is a chateau where the baron has his household and he has a lot of money. And he had a doctor and the doctor died and a new one has been sent. 
So that is the protagonist you are following, the new doctor that is coming to the Baron's home. This part, I, I, one of the first things I was thinking in this early stage is, is the Baron is very grotesque and is being kept alive by a lot of like tubes and like machines and things and, and just the whole chateau and there's like a miser, a son that's, you know, being not greatly treated by his dad and a miserable wife, his son's miserable wife and their terrifying kids and all this stuff. And I was like, this feels so Dune-esque in some ways, the way it's being presented. Um, so I thought that was an interesting sort of connection to, to another um, story. What you may or may not pick up on as you read the back cover, one of the sentences is, for hundreds of years, the imp- um, Interprovincial Medical Institute has grown by taking ro- taking root in young minds and shaping them into doctors, replacing every human practitioner of medicine. So it starts off that sentence just sounding like this is them training practitioners, but it, you know you might realize by the end of that sentence, no, it's replacing them. As in, when it says it's taking root in their mind, it's a parasite that's taking over. These people. So this young doctor that you are with is actually one of this sort of collective mind that is the Institute of Medicine. And they don't know why one of their collective killed himself and or died, right? It appears to be self-inflicted. And so they have sent this young version of themselves up to go figure this out. On the back cover, so not a reveal here, there's another parasite somewhere there. And it's they're basically going to be vying for control over humanity in some way. And so I, I have only gotten to the part where they've had interactions with the other parasite now. I, I don't know, you know exactly which direction this is going, although I have my strong guesses based on various things. But it is definitely very atmospheric. It is a little odd to read because you are in the mo- kind of a, a person who is singular, but also collective. So they have a singular momentary that they're living in consciousness of this body, but they are constantly connecting back to a greater consciousness that is distributed across their world and is thinking other thoughts or experiencing other things or looking things up for them or answering questions for them, um, finding information for them, things like that. And this mind is very focused on the concept of science and medicine. That's how it's survived as a parasite in this world is it's literally killed off any other practitioners of medicine in the world. There are no other or taken them over in various ways. There's nobody else that does medicine for humans. And so that's how it keeps itself important to them is tries to stay under the radar, hidden. People don't really know what this is, but simultaneously they're so essential. Um, because they are the only people that can heal. So that's how it's it's maintaining itself. So that I'm not going to give away more. That I already have a sense of some of the aspects of what's horrific about this and the tensions there around that. I mean, obviously, you're like, there's an issue of the parasite itself. Uh, the both of the parasites <laughs> um, that are there. Um, but I... Actually, I I think it's very interesting. I like the concepts at play here. I like the atmosphere. I do think it's a little clunky to read because of the particular thought patterns of this like very scientific collective mind sort of thing going on, um, which is, makes it occasionally just excessively dense. 
Um, it's very slow read because of that. I thought I could read this a lot faster, but it actually takes me a lot of work to get through a, a chunk of pages, not just because of the atmosphere or anything. Like you have that whole aspect of like, ah, I'm dreading the next section um, because I know something bad is about to happen. But you also just have like the way they think it's a little in, like dense to get through. Um, so that makes it kind of slow to read. But in a way that slowness just builds the tension of the story um, and makes you like take your time getting to and through that. So I think it's been very interesting and enjoyable. I have no idea if any dogs die. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, can I give warnings on that one? But uh, that is Leech by Hiren Ennis. So I realized I'd mentioned Candle Cove before, because actually what I wanted to really talk about was Internet Horror and SCP, which is Secure, Contain, Protect, which we've talked about in this podcast before, but it's like horror in the form of bureaucratic documents from a secret government organization that deals with horrifying, spooky, creepy stuff, like a staircase that goes down forever or whatever. That's the one that I always comes to my mind, but there's lots of other good ones as well. Uh, link in the show notes to more information about this. Um, but like thinking about like things like the context where I'm like, oh, I love reading these reports about horror. Um, reminded me of, um, I also read the, the best horror of the year, volume 14, um, from last year. Uh, and by read, I mean, I read three pages of this book. I read Anne Gar's Rare and Imported Video Catalog, October 2022 by Jonathan Rabb, which is, uh, two descriptions of scary and spooky horror of, uh, like horrific videos that are for sale. And I, I thought that was very entertaining. Um, I just looked it up and I discovered that the guy that wrote that story has also edited a collection called Terror in 16 Bits, which is video game horror fiction. And I'm like, that's now on my list to read. I wish I'd read that this month. All right. I will go a little bit quickly through the last two books I wanted to mention, one of which is called The House of Hunger by Alexis Henderson. It's a 2022 publication and it's full length, 290 pages. And it is basically gothic horror. There have themes of uh, lots of power abuses and emotional abuses within the story, as well as some violence and, and gothic horror-y stuff. You've got a big, scary castle. Um, you've got literal... It's It's got a bit of a vampire, not quite vampire thing going on. So if you like the gothic, I think that's a... It's a fair entry for that. And the last one I wanted to mention is, uh, so I had put this on hold years ago and I thought I had gotten the first book in a series. Um, but reading the Wikipedia article about this media empire, but I have not, but anyway, so I read into the pit five nights at Freddy's Fazbear frights by Scott Cawthorn and Ellie Looper, and it's a 2019 publication. Um, and this is based off of what is originally a video game. Um, there were three novels, I think, written, and then this one. This one is basically three Goosebump books smushed into one, as in you read three stories one after the other. Um where terrible things happen to children. And uh it gave me it gave me a moment of oh yeah, kids kids do like to read about horrible things happening to children. Um 
and little bits of like potential morality play and also sometimes just random terrible things happen to your parents or whatever. Um, I think I put this on hold because it has a really creepy like costume bear on the cover or whatever. So that was it. But it was a good reminder of uh, how middle grade can have just as much horror as as adults do. Pulling no punches. I realized just after you started talking, Megan, that Anna had a great segue because I was talking about video horror and she has a video related horror thing to talk about as well. Now we can segue again. Yes. Uh, Sure. So the other one I wanted to talk about, both Matthew and I read this one. I made him read it after uh, I did because I didn't want to spoil anything for him. Made me read it. I own this. Yeah, he owned it. (laughs) He wanted to read it. I made him read it for this podcast. Um, I I made Anna read hers because she's like, I'm not going to finish Leech in time. I'm like, read this instead. Yeah. So this is called uh, Sadako at the End of the World by Koma uh, Natsumi. And so Sadako is the Sadako of the Ring series, right? Like the books and movies, like that that whole series of of horror um, kind of franchise (laughs) in various ways. Um, And so this is a little manga that is telling the story of Sadako at the end of the world, which is literally during the apocalypse. So some children get the video up and working and watch it. And Sadako pops out and is like, you got one week left. And the little kids are like, hey, it's another person. This is so exciting. This is great. There's nobody else here at all. And Sadako's like, no one? Really? Are you sure? (laughs) And they've never seen a video before. So they're like, they assume they're all like this. They're like, this is normal. If we get another one of these videos working, will we get another friend who pops out? Like, they're all excited. The cover of this looks so cute. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's basically their adventures over the course of the next week. They do run into a few other survivors, but like not many. Like this world is pretty much depopulated. One of the other like survivors, quote unquote, they run into is a literal ghost. Yeah, is an- yeah another one is another ghost um, that they run into. Um, so I am going to give a spoiler for the ending. So if you think you might want to read this, it's fast. It's, it's one volume. Yeah, it's one volume. It's very good. I recommend it, actually. I really enjoyed it. Um, so feel free to step away at this moment if you are one of the podcast hosts and you don't want it spoiled. Um, okay, cool. Um, and for the listeners, go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> so to avoid the spoiler, you can skip forward about 1 minute 10 to 59.45. That will be the end of the spoiler for this comic. But so I, what I thought was interesting about this one is I think Matthew and I took it slightly different ways for whether or not it was horror because it is funny and it is cute. And, but at the very end, it ends with everyone dies. Like this is literally the end of humanity. Um, this is literally the end of the humanity. There is no future. In fact, so much so that their interaction with the other ghost is that the other ghost is like, it, like they're literally they are ceasing to exist. Sadako is like, oh, this could be my end. We could cease to exist because there is no more humanity. There's no no more need even for humanity's ghosts to exist. So that's where I was like, this is the horror. This is the like bleak terror of this one. But it's actually presented cute and funny. In fact, the ending, the last panel is actually silly. 
right? So I don't know what you think. No, I, I agree with that. I, th- I think you've, you've captured it really well. Like it is this funny, cute story that is also like oh, overwhelmingly horrific if you think about it for like at all. So yeah. And spoilers are over. Both the other hosts left, which is really wonderful. And and I did like you should listen or you should read this and then listen to this whole section and see what you think about it because I'm very curious what you have to say. My library does not have it. I'm very disappointed. No, I, I bought it because no library's had it. <laughs> Though I'm the, the person who could like I'm a person who could order it at my library, which is great. <laughs> it's, it's also great because it's a single volume manga. Like, yeah. and I always encourage libraries to buy those. Yeah. Yes, yeah, we need more of those. Manga, my segue, back to me. Uh, <laughs> I will talk about uh, one of my favorite comics. Um, this is the Kurosagi Corpse Delivery Service, written by uh, Eiji Otsuka and drawn by Hosa Yamazaki. Um, it originally came out a long time ago, and I read it all when it was originally coming out in English, um, over a decade ago at this point. And, um, but for whatever, I didn't have any volumes and eventually it was not popular enough and they stopped publishing it, much to my sadness after 14 volumes. Um, it is about a bunch of students at Buddhist university, uh, in Japan who realize that they have no futures or careers, uh, because they, the only people that go to Buddhist university are people that, that is their family business, basically. Like you own a shrine or something related to that. Uh, and so you go to get better at Buddhism and then you can go back and run your, your family's, um, thing. And so these people are like, Oh, we can't get jobs. We have degrees in Buddhism, but they also have powers. And so one of them is, uh, can talk to dead bodies. Um, one of them can find dead bodies. Uh, one of them is a, like an elite hacker. Uh, one of them has a hand puppet that's also an alien. Um, I, I can't explain it better than that. And one of them is like a mortician and so can do like mortician stuff. Um, and so it's like a horror mystery series where each story, cause it's broken up to a bunch of shorter stories. Um, they find a body and they try to help the body, um, fulfill its last wish. Um, and these are usually bodies that have been murdered pretty much always bodies that have been murdered. Um, and so it's actually like pretty creepy. Um, I had forgotten how, but cause it's been a while since I read it. This is, I read the, Omnibus Volume Three, which collects volumes seven through nine. Um, and when we got horror, I was like, I'm gonna. I went out and bought Volume Three because I've been reading, rereading the series through the omnibuses over the last little while. And I'm like, I finished this one. I wanted to go and get Volume Four immediately, um, and I will soon. So yeah, it's just I think a really well done, creepy story where in some ways like it's creepy and scary, but at the same time like the main characters. Like they're fine, you know? So it's kind of a different thing. It's like, cause it is a mystery to some extent, more so than horror in some places. Cause you're, you are trying to find out like, oh, how did this person die? Or like, what's going on in the situation? Um, like there's stories with, I love this story so much. Uh, and I'm so bad at describing it. So I was feeling the same way when I was trying to talk about mine. <laughs> Where I was like, I know I read this whole thing and it was good. How do I how do I do words about it? <laughs> Especially with Ernest there being extra cute. So demanding. Excuse you, buddy. Yeah. I was unhappy with how I described this before. So here is me trying again. So there are stories about plastic surgery, hearing the voice of the dead, robot zombies, dead beers. Dead babies appearing in in a hospital baby drop, cursed dolls, headless motorcyclists, idols being stalked, and more. Um, But because this 
even the even in this fictional story, the characters can't find enough dead bodies randomly to make a living. They end up doing a bunch of odd jobs and stuff, which leads them to finding more corpses. Of course, um, they work as professional mourners. They work as a moving company. They help out on a movie set, and every single time, dead bodies show up, usually brutally murdered, um, either being decapitated or through other means. Though not always. Um, there's also somewhat of an ongoing story as aspects of the characters' past and abilities are revealed. And there's some mysterious recurring antagonists, but it's fairly episodic overall. It's also one of the only Japanese comics I've encountered that's talked about the horrible things Japan did during World War II, which I think is really important. Um, and these include things such as the war crimes committed by Unit 731. Uh, also, it has the best editorial notes of any Japanese comic I've ever read, which really help provide a lot of context for the stories, uh, which I really appreciate. Well, it sounds appealing, Matthew, but... I don't think any of my libraries have this one either. Sorry, you can't have my copies. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> uh, everyone should go out and buy it so that they publish more, though, because the omnibuses apparently sell well enough that they, they might publish more, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Appeal factors. It, it's so weird, because like, I have the weirdest sense of deja vu that we've talked about the appeal factors of horror before. Did we do like psychological horror or something more specific? It was probably something like that. But I'm just like, it's like people like being scared. Getting <laughs> or, those various fear hormones rushing through you. Yeah. Making you feel bodily things, excitement. Yeah. It's like a full body rush. I mean, part of it is also just uh, the appeal of kind of the horror stuff stuff around it like i was saying i really got into vampires and read a lot of vampire adjacent stuff even if it wasn't necessarily horror and um like the lovecraftian stuff where some of it might be more horror and some of it's just like woo cthulhu happens in this story i will i will share a link to a a sketch that some friends of mine made about that dichotomy <laughs> so it's kind of i guess a little bit like being goth in that year you enjoy the aesthetic uh as well as the experience <laughs> 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 matthew shows off his phone case yes you are definitely aesthetically into things <laughs> spooky yeah into things spooky yeah yeah and then like, I guess you're safe afterwards. There is a sort of appeal to when you get familiar enough with a genre is that you kind of know you have some expectations. So it's not as, as shocking necessarily. So there's that, that sort of pleasurable tension in play between, oh, I know how this kind of will work. And then sometimes you're still surprised because the author does something creative and new within the genre expectations and so you get that double pleasure of both feeling like you understand the genre and and what might happen in these circumstances and either having those expectations be confirmed or have them be surprised which i guess is is something that can appeal in all sorts of genres but there's a lot of horror to play with these tropes like there's a lot of tropes in that space and a lot of rich ways that they get played with um, because it's such a rich, there's so much of it, and it's such a rich and diverse genre um, that plays out in a lot of different ways. I also think that, like, we do just kind of need story ways of dealing with 
some of the big issues like the fact that we're going to die, the fact that the people we love are going to die, the horrible ways what? that families treat <laughs> the horrible ways that families treat each other, the horrible ways that strangers treat each other, <laughs> the like all sorts of like, you know, horrifying, terrifying, scary aspects of our lives or just the the things that sit there being big and unwieldy and you just have to exist with their existence and that's hard so we need storytelling ways of approaching that and being able to unpack it for ourselves especially as you move through life your relationship to a lot of these things changes so it's good to have a variety of different stories and aspects of how you can get at those as your relationship to each of those things changes over time Mm -hmm. that's very true what joke were you gonna make I made my joke. I I couldn't fully hear it because I was oh, I just saying said, my thing. You said everyone you love is going to die. I'm like, they do? They will? <laughs> Matthew's learning this information for the first time. Yeah. Yes. Surprise, Matthew. What? <laughs> Not allowed. I forbid you. Uh, if only we could. Yes, this podcast will go on forever. Oh, gosh. Not fair. <laughs> True horror. Like, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Um. I was thinking about horror from uh, the the perspective of writing it um, because I, though I am a big baby about horror, I find so much of my writing like drifts into to horror or horror adjacent. Um, and certainly as a, as a dungeon master, as a game master, um, like find running like very thrilling horror scenarios, <laughs> very exciting. Are you covering your face? Cause we hit a bingo card square. No, I was just remembering I'd completely forgotten all the Call of Cthulhu that you ran. campaign stuff yeah. that I ran. Oh, yeah. We could go on forever in this episode. Yeah. But like the one that came to mind is the one where that turned into just an Abbott and Costello sketch. Yeah, that one. And, and, and <laughs> everyone just kept like falling over. And I'm like, okay, fine. Sure. Okay. Literally both the like DMs characters and all of us just continually kept dropping everything, falling, slipping. It was, it was someone knocked over a jar that was full of oil. And then the cultist chasing you slipped and fell until they died. <laughs> they just, I would like roll to see if they stand up. Nope. They fall over again. Another point of damage. And just then they just died and you like walked away. And I'm like, great. Good job, everybody. Uh, I am not good. I, I could try to run horror themed games. I'm not good at it. Um, it is, they, they are horror themed games. There are thematic elements of horror, but they're like comedy adventure horror as opposed to actually scary things. Though I don't think I would actually want to play an actual scary role-playing game, like with people. Mm. Do you know Dread? Yeah. Yeah, we had that. We, 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 I stole the Jenga Tower and used that in my game of Call of Cthulhu. Right. Anyway, yeah. Uh, appeal of, of like writing and creating or like running games. Um, uh, I feel like you talked about video games and like agency and control, and I feel like there is some appeal for me for someone who... <laughs> who gets like scared and stressed in fiction easily uh, appeal to being like the person in, in control of that and being, being able to experience that, um, which does like, it intrigues me as a genre being able to experience it from that perspective. Uh, But I think there is also potentially as a reader, that kind of appeal factor where um, it is this controlled experience of, of, of f- fear and and feeling unsettled and um you know feeling these like very you know 
complex, deep hitting emotions uh, that we try to avoid in our daily life, but still, uh, you know, can end up experiencing uh, taking some of the things that make us feel the most out of control and uh, having this controlled experience of them. I, it makes me think back to like what you said about reading all the like Wikipedia plot descriptions and things like that. And it's like a version of having control over how much you take in of these. <laughs> yeah, I need ultra control. Yeah, me too. Me too on these. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I like I and it's like, uh, I like people doing commentaries on them because they I get to see some of the visuals from the movies, but I don't actually see them in order in the context where it would be scary with the sound effects that are terrifying. I just see like, oh, that's how they presented it. That's interesting. Okay. And then they did this. Oh, okay. Yes. And I can see why that you would, you know, interpret it this way or whatever, right? Like, uh, like you say, I've got control where I can be analytical over the situation instead of sitting within the actual like experience of it. So yes, another big baby here for, <laughs> for the horror. <laughs> and with that mention of big baby horror, I think we're uh, able to end the episode. Yes, it's a long one. Are you going to make a bunch of like crying baby sounds coming no. at that point? It's like horrifying. Yeah, it's appropriately that's not, horrifying. That's not the sort of horror I want. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Book Club for Masochists. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you find your podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode and consider giving us a positive rating and a review on whatever platform you use. And if you've already done that, thank you very much. For all of our URLs and social media accounts, the four in our name is The Numeral. You can go to our website at bookclub4m.com, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash bookclub4m, and find us on Instagram at bookclub4m. Our email address is bookclub4m at gmail.com. On our website, you can find show notes that will provide links to the things that we mentioned social media info for everyone who appeared on this episode, and our genre-based book lists of titles by authors of color. I just had this thought that I feel like our listeners could do a drinking game or a gambling thing, trying to guess which of us is going to say which lines in the outro <laughs> this week, or this episode, you know, like per episode, this time. Anyways, you can suggest a genre or title for us to read or request a recommendation from us. We have a form you can fill out. No promises on reading your suggestion, but we will give you a recommendation if you ask. All opinions are our own and do not reflect our places of employment if they exist. Our theme music is To Arrakis by Dark Sun from the Free Music Archive. New episodes are usually the first and third Tuesday of every month. Join us again on Tuesday, November 7th, when we'll be discussing the nonfiction genre of crafts and crafting, which also seems appropriate to the season. Then on Tuesday, December 5th, we'll be talking about the genre of suspense fiction. And so again, we're taking a little bit of time off. We're still, we're still getting one episode per month. We're taking a little vacation. <laughs> but not two per month for the next little while. What just happened? Cough, cough. Oh, it was a cough. It was a cough. I thought maybe there was a ghost. Yes. It sort of startled me backwards, so it counts. Very cat. Yes, good. Very cat. He's great. He's very cat. He's very cat. No, not the headphones. <laughs> Stop my recording.
Good evening and welcome to the Midnight Library.